Today's episode of the Andy Greenwald podcast on Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, Channel 33's presenting sponsor, and the best app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Their newest feature is SeatGeek Marketplace. It's an easy way to, ooh, it's an easy way to sell tickets without getting hijacked by ridiculous after-the-sale costs. Go to SeatGeek.com slash BS to learn how to buy and sell tickets on SeatGeek. And don't forget to download the free SeatGeek app. Enter promo code BS and SeatGeek will send you $20 once you've made your first purchase. Today's episode is also brought to you by HBO. You don't need cable or satellite to watch your favorite HBO shows and movies anymore. Just download the HBO Now app and start your free one-month trial today. You're listening to the Andy Greenwald Podcast. Hello, my name is Andy Greenwald. This is my podcast. My podcast is now a part of the Bill Simmons Podcast Network. I'm thrilled to report that. And the podcast is now exclusively available on the Channel 33 feed. You can subscribe to the Channel 33 feed at iTunes.com slash Channel 33, SoundCloud.com slash Channel 33, or look for Channel 33 on Stitcher. It's your choice. Particularly excited to have debuted my brand new theme music, I want to thank the fantastic, brilliant Scottish band Churches, that's Churches with a V, for providing such a cool opening track for me. I am truly grateful, truly honored. Church's new album, Every Open Eye, is available on Glassnote Records. You can buy it in a record store. You can stream it on your Spotify's, your iTunes, whatever you like. I recommend it. They're a great band and clearly very generous people. For my first show back, pretty big guest, a guest who is more accustomed to being a host, Trevor Noah took over The Daily Show just three short months ago, and since then has absolutely made his mark on the program. He's also an accomplished stand-up comedian. His most recent stand-up special, Lost in Translation, aired on Comedy Central just a few weeks ago, and I am very excited to have, as my very first guest on the Andy Greenwald Podcast 2.0, Mr. Trevor Noah. Let's get into it. What is it um, called now? The, the, the whole thing or the show? This show. This show still has the same bad name it had before. Which is? The Andy Greenwald Podcast. Okay, okay. So it's exactly the same. It's literally the same. Oh, okay. Um, so, so you haven't like... No, I was just wondering if you lost any of your... Syllables? Because, no, because you know when you change over and there's like your branding, do you lose any of the... Here's the genius of having a terrible name that was just name, put on the show for me, is that they can't own my name. So all the clever ideas I came up with... I would have lost them. Oh, that's true. So I feel like I should just stick with it. Stick with your name. Yeah. I'm not thrilled with it, but it's gotten me this far, you know? <laughs> but if you have, a, if you want to like come up with a better name, we could just do that. We could just workshop. Andy Greenwald's a good name. It's okay. It's unique. You think? Yeah. It's sort of... I think, it's, I think it starts promisingly, and then it kind of flattens out. I feel like it ends strong. Do you? Yeah. The hard D? If you were like Greenwald Andy, I'd be like, hmm, it started out strong. That's true. Well, because all this so like Germanic, it has I don't know. It, it's just it sounds like you meant to inherit or have inherited something, some property, yeah, some forests. Yes, are you green? Green all the green walls, of course. Do you, of course. Do you know Andy? I, just seems like oh, it's Andy. Yeah, it's a little soft. It's Andy. Yeah, because it's like Andrew, but not really. No, it's it's like I wasn't ready to be Andrew. Exactly. I'm still waiting to Andy. graduate. Mm, Andy. I, I I researched. I wanted to know. You know, the last name means green forest. Yes, in, uh, Greenwald. Right, in German. Yes, so in I German. was, uh, I thought maybe I came from forest people. Like I was excited. Like maybe there was some someone in my ancestry that would like to go outside because I don't. That's funny. And but I, it's half German because it's Greenwald. It was, it was originally it was Grunwald. Grunwald, yeah. 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 And, and so then I, I looked it up and there was a whole long story about how, um, where Jewish names came from. Yes. You know, and they were like Blutman, Bloodman, you know, they were yep, the butcher. Yep, yep. And I was like, hey, well, where's the forestry ranger? And it said that in like the 1870s, some like fancy bougie Jews decided to change their names to beautiful things with popular words. Oh, that's hilarious. So everyone whose name was like Goldman or Greenwald or Silver or whatever. That is it just came out of nowhere. Those were just hipster bougie Jews. Uh, South African Kosa people did that as well. They take like on, I'm, I'm certain Noah just was invented, just like just snatched. They just got from Bible, like from the Bible. And they, they just literally, they were just like, yeah, I'm just going to go with something cool. It is a cool name though. They're just like, yeah, let's do this. It has a name that has some history to it. Noah? I think there was a boat. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, there's... We don't know if there's a boat. We think there's a boat. We, we believe it. We believe there's a boat. Many of us do. Um, usually, I, we don't, usually, we start more formally, but I feel like we're going. Oh, we're going. <laughs> I guess <laughs> we're going. <laughs> we're going. I should say that uh, joining me here in the beautiful Earwolf Studios here in Manhattan is the host of The Daily Show and a very funny comedian. Trevor, what was your last name again? Noah. Oh, Noah, right. Like, like the, the boat. Like the boat. Like the, well, the ark. But I mean, I don't want to be formal. So let's just call it a boat. Yeah. Andy, not Andrew. Boat, not arc. Let's, exactly. Let's, we're, just, let's, we're just keeping it formal here. Just keeping it light. Let's keep it. Let's yeah, dumb yeah, it down. That's a what we're doing. Uh, Trevor, thank you so much for joining me. On no, your, thank you for having me. Early in the day, on your off day. Thank you very much. Um, being my first guest on this new version of the show. I'm honored. I'm truly honored. You are my Kevin Hart. That's hilarious. <laughs> so I, I appreciate that so much. Oh, that's funny. Yes. I yes. was wondering, I know this is a little off book, but I was wondering if you could give me some tips on uh, on restarting a show after a, a brief hiatus. Um, wow. The hardest things to do for me, I find, is get back into the rhythm of things. Uh, how long have you been on hiatus? That's that's what determines everything. About six weeks. Six weeks? Yeah, I've been on the shelf. Oh, I've never had that long a break. I can't help you. <laughs> Oh, no, I hate this, you. I can't give you advice. I the, envy you now. This is the first conversation I've had with not my wall or my family in, oh, in weeks. Oh, wow. I, I, I remember a time when I had that much time not doing a thing. It was a good time. It was a good time. Yeah. Now, now I've been limited. The most time I've had off has been like a week. But even during that week, aren't you yeah, being ferried you work, off to California for press? You're basically and, working. Yeah, you're doing press. You're doing shows. You're doing, you know. There is no break. There is no break. I'm, I'm going to get a break soon. We'll see. I've heard that uh, the holidays are a good time. You know what? I feel like now I'm going to start appreciating things that working people appreciate. So, uh, As a stand-up team, comedian, like... I never appreciated any of it. People were like, thank God it's Friday. I was like, you're wasting your thanks to God. I'm not going to lie because there's a lot of Fridays coming up. <laughs> That's right. And then now I've started working like every single day in the week. And now I go, yeah, you know what? Thank God it's Friday. But yet now you have to do things recreationally at the same time as everyone else does. Like you can't go which is to nice. a museum in an off hour. No, but which is nice either. though, because I feel like beforehand as a comic, you were always the guy who was inviting people. What are you guys doing on Tuesday afternoon? Right. And it was like, we're working. <laughs> because we're just normal we're people. We're normal people. Right. And then everyone would invite you out for stuff. They go, hey, we're having a barbecue. And I go, when? They go on Saturday afternoon. I'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be out of town working. Yeah, sorry. That's no good for me. That's no good. That's my busy time. Yeah. So I actually, I actually enjoy it. It's like I get to be part of the normal world doing a not so normal thing. Well, I, I remember, I don't know if this was a, an interview you did on camera or something that I read, but that you kept quite a, for me, an unconventional schedule when you were just grinding as a stand-up, right? Yeah. You were... You were sleeping during the day and then doing multiple sets at night. Yes, yes. I, I think I'm. I think I'm naturally lo- nocturnal. I don't. I, I'm not particularly fond of the day. It's very noisy. It is noisy. It's a very noisy thing. Everyone is clamoring for the same things. We're all fighting for our position in in line in the store. I like. I like the nighttime. Would you? It's be- like you and a few crazies. Maybe I'm one of the crazies. Maybe, yeah. I think they're all saying that. Yeah. All the crazies. That's all the crazies that. are like, oh, it's just me and a few crazies. Thank God I'm not one of these crazies. guys. Me and a few crazies. <laughs> and a couple Muppets, too. <laughs> I, 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 would you be happier if The Daily Show filmed live, not live, but filmed at 11 p.m. instead of 4 or whenever it is? No, because filming? I guess then it would throw off your, your entire life. Uh, I, I, I don't think I'd be thrown off by that, to be honest. Right. Yeah. I don't think I'd be thrown off at all. I, I, this, this used to be my schedule. So I would wake up, especially if I was doing a show. So there was, there was a time I was, I was running a show at the Bleecker Street Theater. Right. So, um, so what I was doing was I would I basically think of it like this. I would start my day at the show. So the show is at 8 p.m. or 7 p.m. Right. So I'd do the show. After the show, I'd go and grab uh, some food. Then I'd go to the comedy cellar. Then I'd do spots there and in and around New York until 2, 3 a.m. Then at 3 a.m. I would go shopping. So I'd buy like all my groceries and stuff that I need. Then I'd go home. Then I'd watch like Netflix and I'd watch like all the sports that I've missed from the day and I'd catch up on everything. Then I'll start playing uh, like Call of Duty and Destiny and all those kinds of games. That would get me to about 10 a.m., 11 a.m. Right. And then I would sleep. And then I would sleep until 6 p.m. That's when I'd wake up and I'd jump into the shower, get ready, and then I would walk straight into the theater to start my day. So I like to start the day. 
yeah. I like to have a morning. So it's like when I get to work, when I get to right. comedy work, I like to be like, "Good morning, audience. Ah, <laughs> right. yes, nice, nice to start my day with you." Traditionally, not the the most laugh ready audience as a you know a just woken up morning audience. Yes, yes, yes. But I feel like I've just gotten into. I have that chipper. You're ready. They're not chipper. There. Yeah, there are a few drinks in, it's, but it's weird to me. Sometimes it's weird like doing comedy at the end of the day. I just I I, I, I started resenting audiences because they'd come in being like, "Oh, we're here to relax," and I'd be like, "This is you know." Job. I'm like, "Yeah, I also want to relax." This is my job. Right. I'm struck by the extreme normalcy of the day that you just time shifted. Yeah, that's you know, all I did. The other people at the 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 24-hour bodega at two in the morning, they probably I don't want to prejudge, but they likely I feel like were you not. Already have. I already have. <laughs> the minute you said it, you saw it behind my eyes. The they were probably not buying cartons of milk and, and you, they actually bread, were. were they? They actually were. I, f- I find everyone is buying normal things at that time of the night. I, I haven't seen, I would be lying if I said I remember seeing people buying strange things at that time. People are just buying. I feel like New York is set up like that. That's what I love about New York. Like the other day, I had a, uh, I have a penchant, penchant for fixing things or, or creating things at odd hours. So the other day right. I decided to change all the toilet seats in my apartment. I was just like, why not? why not do this? And so I can think of some reasons, but please go on. And so I was like, I want to get a different toilet seat. And so I ordered them and then they came in, but then I didn't have the tools to change the toilet seats. So then I needed the tools and the different piping that you need. You need like S-bend pipes, you right. see, um, to change that go from the water inlet to the water to the water outlet from, from, from the wall to the toilet. Right. And so I needed to get all those pipes. And then New York has 24-hour hardware stores. And my friend said to me, you're crazy. Why would you do this at this time? And I said, if I was crazy, why would there be a 24-hour hardware store? You see, it didn't exist merely through my craziness. The world is here for you. It is here for me. That's amazing. That's a beautiful story. I went to the hardware store, and then everything was there. And then I, I bought the stuff. And does the story have a happy? And the ending? guy, the guy didn't look at me weird. Like when I no. walked in and said, "Hi, I'm looking for an S bend pipe for my, for my toilet." Right. Uh, he, he he wasn't like at this time. Right. No, he was just like, yeah. Well, that's in fact, also... he made a joke that I didn't get at the t- like he he had like a hardware joke, I guess, because yeah. I said I need a, a, an S bend pipe for the toilet. Yeah. And then he was like, "Hot water or cold water?" And I was like, "Uh, cold water." And he's like, "Ha, just kidding." And I was like, "Oh, it's a." It's a hardware joke because there's no hot water that goes into a toilet. Right. Maybe in Japan, but not not here. Exactly. Right. No, I don't even think in Japan. Don't, isn't don't they don't they famous for the warm water? Yeah, cascading? but that gets that gets heated uh, using an electric coil that's in the seat itself. It you, doesn't. The water doesn't come in hot. You know, this is traditionally has been a plumbing podcast. Like we do a lot I'd, of really a lot, lot of pipe work. No, as as established earlier, <laughs> the, the Greenwald family, <laughs> the uh, name grabbing fancy Germanic uh, people have not hilarious. have not. Fixed toilets in many hours. Um, Trevor, I wanted to say that this week on The Daily Show has been a really great week. I've enjoyed oh, thank all you. the episodes. Thank I really feel much. like you're, you're finding a remarkable groove. But I also feel like it's um, worth noting, I, I would imagine this has been a challenging week as well. Because, yeah. um, you know, you've done at this point 30-some shows. It's been, has it's it been, been that many? Three months. I think it's 30, 31, 32. And you've had to comment on two, three mass shootings already. Which is weird. It's 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 odd how not weird it's become. But well, it, it, well, you know what's weird about it is the fact that a, it has become the place of late night hosts to comment on this, these things. That's like the first first port of call for me. Is that it's strange that that is the place that it's almost happening. Is that like everything in the day almost ignores it, other than the news, obviously. Right. And then it's the place of the late night hosts to talk about this. Uh, maybe it's just be- maybe society has gone. You know, we'll leave it in the comedy space. Maybe that's the place where we go. We're most comfortable with it because then we know immediately afterwards we can we can get some sugar. You know, well, well that it's okay. It's the uh, it's yeah. the you're, you're the S pipe, if you will, it, of, <laughs> of the daily news cycle. You take it from one place and you turn, and you turn it around, it in, turn it around into something else. It's it's very weird. And then I guess it's it's also you know what's strange about it is the fact that uh, you know what. What often happens is in these situations, like I know on stage, I'm comfortable in that I speak about these things. But what also makes it comfortable for the audience is the fact that they have a familiarity with you. Yes. you know, people know you. They know who you are. They know what you stand for, where you come from. So when you speak about these things, you're speaking to your friends, <clears throat> excuse me, and your and your familiars. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you're on the show. It's weird because it's like, hey, nice to meet you. It's it's the equivalent of being on a first date. Yes. Imagine being on a first date with somebody and then they have to tell you that someone in your family has died. But you've just met this person. Yes. You, you met them on a Tinder date. And then you go, hey, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hey, before we go anywhere, um, I just wanted to talk to you about the fact that some of your family members have been killed. And yeah. uh, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, and I know this is a tough time for you. And I'm sorry, who are you? And it's just like, no, no, t- let's take a second. It's it's a very, very strange, strange thing, especially because it seems like the solutions are there, but not really. So there's nothing you can do about it, but you can. It's a complete stalemate. It really is. There, there are many things that could be done. Yes. And they are not being done. Yes. And, you know, you you, you did a great bit about um, the president's frustration with it. Yeah, but because uh, I because I go to people, I'm like, this guy's been doing this. You know, Barack Obama's been standing up there saying this. I mean, it's amazing to see how his speeches have evolved. He's gone from outrage at the incidents yeah. to, I guess, resignation to the fact that he can't do anything. Just deep, deep frustration. Now he's just, talking about the speeches. That's right. Now it's almost like he's complaining about mass speeches. That's, that's right. what he's almost complaining about now. Well, and that's the same thing that was mirrored in, I don't often like to hold up social media as a mirror for for, for anything, but you know, this this time, this horrific event that happened in San yeah. Bernardino, the, the largest outpouring of, of comments was commenting on the, the futility of and thoughts the banality and of thoughts and prayers. I, but I don't know if I fully agree with that, yeah. though, funny enough. I, I think there is room for that. We, we, we shouldn't be quick to chastise or ostracize people that engage in public mourning. I think we, we do, there is a catharsis that we need at some point. You know, we, thoughts and prayers, yeah, we can argue about they mean nothing, they mean something. But then I, I go, you know, as quick as you are to dismiss them, Look at the people that were in the building. There were text messages that they were sending out. And I remember reading one of those texts when they were on TV and the person said, somebody's shooting in the office. I'm hiding under a desk. Yes. Please pray for me. And it's like, you know, I mean, whether you, you, you're with it or you, you're not, you have to allow people that we can't. I know that we're angry. And I think that's what happens is we don't, our anger, you, you almost get, you misdirect that. You don't know which way to go. You know, you just like, because nothing else gets done the other way. So you can, you can get angry at each other for, for, the, for the thoughts and prayers. And you just, you start fighting about the wrong thing almost. Well, the real problem that I find with Twitter is that there's no room for more than one thought at the same time. That's true. You know, and uh it would be very possible and in fact human to have deep condolences and thoughts yes. and prayers and potentially take action, but that's yes. not 140 characters. And yeah. so we're, 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 we're waging these battles with very, very limited, uh, uh, now I'm going to go in it. That's, that's not the right metaphor to use in this conversation, <laughs> but it, perhaps not using the right tools. Yeah. Maybe we need to go to that 24 hour hardware store. Um, yeah. I, I thought about um, your predecessor in the daily show desk, John Stewart, you know, he, he, when he stepped down, Every single piece written about his tenure uh, referenced or showed a clip of his response to 9-11. Yes, yes. There were 14 – it was a remarkable response. I remember watching it live. But there were 14 years of broadcast between that moment yeah. and the end. These moments, as you, as you said, have come to define the job. And of all of – I mean, I, I, I'm sure this has been an adjustment period in myriad ways for you. How has your adjustment been to that part of it? You, you, you can't take on the man – I mean, you, you mentioned the war on bullshit in your first show. Yeah. But – of all the shoes to step into, you're a very funny guy. You're very good on TV, but the accrued sort of weight that he had at that point, you know, the moral conscience, that's, yes. a, that's a tough thing to just slide it's into. Extremely, it's extremely difficult. Um, the number one thing I learned from Jon Stewart before I left was I can't fit into his shoes, you know? I have to wear my own shoes. He's a, he's a very small man yeah. as well. So that's literally what he did. He walked me into the office and he was like a young man. He was like, what, what size shoes do you wear? <laughs> I said, I, uh, I'm a size 11. And he said, uh, as you can see over here, I'm a size 8. And he was like, so what does that tell you? I was like, I don't know. He says, uh, you, you'll have no problem filling these shoes. In fact, you have to find your own shoes. And that's, and that's the truth. That's very Gandalfy. That's it good. It really is. John really loves that. I think like he, he, he's, like a, he's like a joker and stuff, but he always plays. He's got like these Gandalfy slash Yoda slash he, <laughs> he has like very epic moments to him. But, but really, that's what it is. And, and the... I guess the difficult thing is, you know, is that The Daily Show came to fill such a such a necessary void 
and it created a space wherein there was there was honest conversation comedically being had around what was happening um, that was essential, you know, that I think is still essential. And so the visceral response of people is to go, this void cannot be filled, you right. know, it, it, because it cannot, it cannot be filled. So you almost need to go, we create, we create a monument and a statue to honor what has been done. And then you start building something new. Right. You know, you got to look at it like a presidential term. You go, okay, now it's, now it's this term. You have to start building on your legacy. You have to start passing your own bills. You have to start, and you do it in different ways. You do it, you know, and, and sometimes I even forget that I've only been on the air for two and a half months. Right. Some, sometimes it feels like people, you go, Has this, how long have I been? They go, you're not John Stewart. And you're like, damn, you're right. I'm, I'm not even close to you. And you're like, wait a minute. How do you trick me? It's been two and a half months. <laughs> you know, I look at stand-up comedy and I go, there's no comedian who got good yeah. in two and a half months. Like there's, there's no, there's guys... You need a long time to get into the groove. Never mind following someone amazing, but just get into the groove of, of what you're doing, of, and and also getting people to understand how you do it. That's yes. that's a very interesting part of it as well. well. You mentioned the familiarity that your audience yeah. has with you. You're now being broadcast into people's homes where exactly. they they didn't buy a ticket necessarily. They're, exactly. They're they're waiting to see what you can do and who you are. And you know, in my previous and maybe future life, when I was writing more TV criticism, I mean, I, I remarked how. It's it's an impossible thing. People on my side of the ball are tasked to basically watch your first show, yes, Stephen Colbert's first show, all yep. these people's first show, and say something. Yes. But what are we what are we actually saying? Because it is that first show, anybody's debut is in no way really representative of what the show will be. These are ongoing conversations, and that's what makes them good. That's exactly what it's supposed to be. So, so my goal in, in the long term is to get to the point where my show is as essential as as uh, as the previous one was because that's really what you want is you want to be part of an essential conversation an honest essential yes. conversation you know like i feel like john oliver does that in an amazing way is that i feel like i can't miss his show just you know it's part of an essential conversation you you know um i feel like colbert right now his interviews are that for me it's just like the things he's talking about and how he's talking about them with the people mm -hmm. You know, and we talked about, I talked to him about that, and he was saying he's loving having that time because in a 30-minute show, he didn't have that time. Eddie was in character. I mean, yeah, could never... yeah. But now, now Colbert has that, he has that time, and, and it really shines through, you know? So you, you're finding those essential moments. So for me, it's about evolving that gradually over time and getting to the place where I exist in my own space. But you, you know, it's uh, comedies like Kung Fu or, or Karate or a style of martial art. You, you all have your own style. And so initially someone will be like, what the hell are you doing, Trevor? Why don't you punch the same way the other guy punched? And you're like, well, I like Tai Chi, you know, and, and it takes people a while to get used to the thing that you are doing. Right. And you go, I'm trying to achieve the same results, but I don't do it in the same way. It doesn't mean that I don't know how to fight. Yeah. It just means that I have my own martial arts. So so relax yourself and get used to it. That's that's really what you're trying to do. You've and been, I hope I get to the point where I'm in a park with a few hundred thousand people and we're all doing the moves Mimicking together. your moves? Yeah, yeah, then that's that's <laughs> what you're doing. You're building an audience. At, at first, you're the, the only guy in the park, the crazy old man who's right. just moving his hands slowly. And then you hope to build up a following of people going, yeah, this is the only way to do it. Audience slash cult. I yes. Mean, we, with TBD. I, that's a great audience slash cult. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. You, the, the two people you mentioned specifically there, Stephen and, and John, of course, are both alum, alums of, of, yep. of your show, uh, the show you inherited. Is there a fraternity of hosts? There aren't very many of you. There are. Have these there shows. really is. There really is. And I think we're in an interesting place because I know back in the day there was a, there was a, a lot of, um, I guess, rivalry. There was a, you right. know. I don't feel that it's there now. Maybe it'll it'll form over time. But right now, everyone is really just, you know, we're part of a club. It's 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 a it's a very small club. Yes, it's a very few people you can actually talk to about it and go, hey, how does this happen, or what do you do when that happens, or do, you know, is this like a thing that you have to deal with all the time? It's a very small group of people who can who can relate to that. So. You know, I, I I talk to everybody, and and everyone's really great about it. Everyone from Fallon all the way through to Kimmel, Colbert, um, you know, Stuart himself. So it really is a small band of of people that are experiencing the same thing in in a slightly different way. You, you of course can tell me if I'm right about this, but I would imagine that a great deal of the advice from people who have been doing it 
um, even you know a, a fraction longer than you have has been about perspective and playing the long game yeah. and not living or dying on a on a single show. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, um, I look at somebody like like Fallon. You know, uh, he was talking about how his first year, people were basically like, "This is horrible." He doesn't know what he's doing. It's the worst thing ever. He's going to destroy the Tonight Show. It's not going to. And then all of a sudden, you know, one day something clicks for people, and then they just go, "Yeah, this is amazing. The king of fun. Yeah. It's a great show. Having a good time." Jimmy always knew what he was doing. Th- this is why I think the the smartest thing, and this is this is you know, casting my mind up to the executive suite at all yeah. these networks. The smartest thing to do is hire someone such as yourself or such as Jimmy who who don't have an established brand or or kung fu style in that hosting space because you want people to come to this and say well this is what it always should have been this is it's you're not aping the other style you're not yes. you're not trying yeah. to be John. yeah i'm that's that's the biggest thing is i can't try to be like i'm so different it's just like i can't those shoes would chafe <laughs> <laughs> the blisters i just i i cannot and i i still find it funny when people go oh he's no johnson you're like yes i am no John. yes that and exactly that is exactly what is happening. But I will say the the craziest thing to me is that you know, as much as this is becoming your own show, it this debut wasn't quite ordinary, and and it was not a complete restart or reboot. Um, yes, you um, kept the majority, if not all, of the the writing staff, yes. the producers, the, the the structure that had been in place and working so well. So it's it's as if you had in, inherited a beautiful car, but you had been in the passenger seat. It was cruising at 60 miles per hour. Yeah, and you then the driver. the wheel. <laughs> the driver jumped out. The driver jumped out. You grabbed the wheel. You didn't brake, but the seat was optimized for that shorter person's body. That's exactly. You couldn't have described it better. Um, so really what happened is, you must remember, because of the short turnaround time, right. I, I had to look at things in a realistic manner and go, what, what is my intention here? If I'm looking at it as the long game, I know that I have time to make a great show, you know? I, I, I'm a performer, I've been doing stand-up, yeah, it's not the longest career, but I've been doing stand-up, it's almost 11 years now, all over the world, mm-hmm. not just in one country, but really all over the world. Been performing to people, been talking about everything from from escalators through to Charlie Hebdo attacks. Like, I, you know, I've, I've engaged with humans for a very long time, it's what I enjoy doing. I like making people laugh, it's what makes me feel good. Um, so I, I, I have a grasp of what I'm doing. And, and when I looked at it, I went, I have five weeks to take over from Jon Stewart. That's such a little amount of time. Exactly. So in that time, is it realistic to completely destroy the thing, dismantle it, and then try to figure out what you're doing, and then try to figure out how that would work, and then try to figure out how to get it on, and then risk having a complete train wreck? Or do you go, let's evolve this? You know, let's let's evolve this entire thing. Right. And so you take what's working and you go from there because there are many there are, there are many parts of the, the, the Daily Show's DNA that I want to keep, but you want to evolve them just like DNA over time. And then someone will look back and go, wow, that's so different from from what it was. And for me, the best way to do that was to actually watch Jon Stewart's Daily Show. So I watched the first episode he ever did. Ah, yeah. Then I watched one like two years in, then I watched one three years in, four years in, five years, and you see the change over time. People don't realize this. I remember, I I watched the show when it debuted with with Craig Kilborn, and people don't remember that the first few weeks of John's tenure, he was doing Kilborn's show. He did the the burning, the questions, he did did (laughs) all the bits. Yes. And then he, like you're doing now, he nudged the wheel. Yeah. You don't crash the car. I I love that metaphor, so I went back to it. You got to nudge the wheel if you're going to turn. You 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 really do. You can't. You really, really do. And that's what people forget. It's funny because I guess we didn't, people didn't have social media back then, but like people said that that's another thing I was reminded of by John and by the oldest staff on the show is that when, when John took over, people were like, he can never be Craig Kilborn. Yeah, he will Kil- never be Craig Kilborn. <laughs> Can't we'll, do it. We'll leave that aside. But <laughs> but, but Craig Kilborn uh, was, a, yeah, he was a shooting star in late night. He was moving on to what exactly. everyone assumed was a much bigger job. And John had, um, well, his show had failed. He hadn't failed, but he yeah. had hosted a number of things and it seemed like an odd move for him. Yeah. No one thought of him as a political guy. No exactly. one thought of him as any of the things that he became and over time. Um, is it fair to say that the show that we will watch in late September of 2016 um, will be markedly different than the show we watched your first night of September in 2015? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my aim. That's definitely my aim, is to constantly evolve it. 
constantly evolve until it gets to the point where, to be honest, I, and this is what I strive for on stage. It's the reason when I, when I do shows, like I, I have a backstage area, half of the time I don't use it. I like to walk into a venue straight onto the stage. Hmm. And people always go, why, why do you? Because I, I don't want to become a thing. It's just for me. I don't want to become a performer. I don't want to. I, I love to get to the place where I'm as truthful as possible. I, I like to live in that space on stage, you know. So I, I want to be Trevor and I want to find what makes Trevor funny and, and talk to. I want to find fans that become friends and friends that are fans. And we, and we get to a space where we go, we enjoy hanging out and we, we laugh about these things. And it's an, Because I honestly think the, the place you laugh the most is with your friends. Yeah. No comedian can touch that. The way you will laugh with your friends is just the most organic, wonderful feeling ever. And so if you can take that and try and get to that place with your people, that's, that's the most wonderful space to be in as a, as a performer. And potentially and so, expand that circle exactly, of friends to the million exactly. people watching every night. So that's what you want to try and do for me. I want to try and do that for the show. I want to go, come in, let's be friends. Let's, let's get to know one another. Let's, let's understand and let's argue. Let's not get along. It's weird to me that we live in a world now where people go, we have to agree on everything. No, this is not supposed to be an echo chamber. Yes. It is supposed to be an argument. That's how we get to a better place. That's how scientists do it. You know, I always look at science and I go, the reason science keeps on progressing is because people argue. Einstein came out with a theory. People said that's bullshit. They argued against it. Einstein argued back. They argued against it. You have to have peer review for you to get better. The only difference is you have to be open to that and go, hey, actually, you know what? You guys were right. Yeah. And it's also another weird thing that I found is that, and it's not just an American thing, but it's very prevalent out here. Being wrong in America seems like you should never say that. You should never be like, yeah, I was wrong. Oh no, you can't ever admit. You, you can, can never I mean, look admit, at Donald Trump. You, you can, can never You could never admit to being or... wrong. You could never admit to changing. That's yeah. considered a flip-flop and a, oh, what are you? A person who changes their mind? And it's like, well, yeah, that's exactly what I am. That makes you a person. And this is, you know, to bring it back, I mean, the, the, to my mind, that was the strangest thing about the the, the, the mini uproar over your own tweets because these are, Five years old, six years old. Sh- show any of us something that we wrote to a much smaller audience or to our friends also, or tested but, something five yeah, but, years but ago. But also, it doesn't take into account yeah. the evolution of people as a whole. Yes, this is this is what this is what frustrates me with that whole thing, right? You watch. Let's let's say you watch Eddie Murphy's Raw Delirious. Those are my favorite DVDs of all time, right? In the first line, yeah, I think it is of Raw. He comes out and he says "faggots." Yeah, and you like what? People don't even use that word. You're like, what? This is crazy. How can you? And then you go, yeah, but you got to understand that was a snapshot of the time. You know? Yeah. Like Eddie Murphy has evolved since then. Comedy has evolved since then. There Audiences things, have evolved since audience then. Have, Americans, uh, yeah, exactly. humans have evolved since then. But those are those things are a snapshot of the time. So you, you don't go back in time and then go, why were you saying this back? We were all saying, and the, the language evolves. I mean, there's going to be like if you look at you look at gay and homosexual and those those kinds of words, you'll find there'll be a time in 15 years ago. I our kids will be going, oh man, I can't believe you guys just said homosexual like that. Yeah. And you go, but that was the that was the word we used, kids. That uh, that was the word everyone was using. I can't wait to become old timey. <laughs> I think that'll be good for all of us. But I, I wonder if you're paying attention too to the debate now that's that's raging on college campuses where people want to strike. Uh, Woodrow Wilson's name off of a library because he was, and he was, a vicious, terrible racist. He was. Yeah. Um, he was also the president. He did the League of Nations and he segregated the government. He did all of those things. That That's a tough debate for me. I think, I almost feel like what we should be doing is instead of erasing, because it's almost like this is the problem I have with with erasing all of history. Yes. It's just that we erase all of history. There's right? nothing to learn from that. Like, you have to try and find a balance because... Uh, I'm sure there were a lot of people who were good in their time, but bad according to our time. Mm-hmm. So you go, wow, this guy had slaves and he approved of this and he was a bad person and he was, and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. but in comparison to the people he was around, back then people would have called, and I'm not saying Woodrow specifically, but let's say there's people out there where they would have gone, this guy's a, a raging progressive and he's a Thomas liberal Jefferson. and he's a, yeah, and you go, yeah, but according to today's standards, yeah. He's a slave master and a racist. And you go, yes, but back then, he was the, you could not even get somebody more progressive than him. Let's look at, let's let's use a more modern example going the other way. Uh, Richard Nixon, who, you know, my yeah. my parents think of as, grew up thinking of as the worst, most right-wing, <laughs> you know, oppressive yes. ideologue. 
and he was in many ways. But if you look at some of his policy positions, yes, way more liberal than you, you, well, you see that now. With if you consider what what people think Republican is right. now versus what it was thirty years ago, Republican back in the day was tame by comparison. So you so you have to look at that evolution. You can't discount it. I almost think what we should do is instead of taking people's names off buildings and stuff, we should just have a little addendum that mm-hmm. just shows what it's like. This person, president of whatever, whatever, and also held a large amount of slaves and believed in this. Compli- we have a hard time with complications and complex Nuance, ideas. my friend, Nuance. is what we suffer with. Yeah, we do. Everything is black or white. Everything is right or wrong. Or 140 characters. Nuance is lost now. We, we only want to exist in the world of yes and no, uh, which is, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it stunts society, I feel. And and this perspective that you bring to it, um, as a as a an, a recent immigrant, an outsider to this country, is one of the reasons why I was thrilled that you got the job. Thank to be you. honest, Thank because you. we are very caught up in this stuff. Yeah. And sometimes it takes someone stepping in and saying, "Wait a wait a second. And so to that point, I think my favorite moments of the Daily Show in the last you know however long it's been. I believe. What did you say? Three years? Four years? Since you yeah, took the four job? Four years? Five years? Five years? In host years? Five yes. years? Um, is every moment that you've allowed yourself to be present. Yeah. Every moment yeah. the person, I, we've never really met, but, you know, the, your your unique perspective, who you are has come out. Um, you know, when I watched your, you had a stand-up special that was on Comedy Central a week yes. or two ago, Lost in Translation. It's a great special. Thank you I think very it's much. on Thank demand. You. It's very funny. Um, what was dazzling to me about it was the sheer number of filters you can throw on the lens, so to speak. Yeah. When you were telling a joke about um, driving as a black man in Los Angeles, you were also driving as a foreigner to this country yeah. in Los Angeles. So there's a second layer to it. When you were talking about flying during the Ebola uh, outbreak, you were flying as an African person, but also as a famous person. <laughs> yes. Um, there are all these different layers to it. And I, I wonder if that is the struggle, sounds like a pejorative word, but that is the that's the push that you need to bring to the show to be able to apply. The show has had basically one Instagram filter. One full, that is very correct. But it, it, it's also a, it's also a managing of the, I guess of the, of the, of the current perception of what the show is meant to be. Okay. And that's a very, that's, that is probably the biggest thing that I came to realize, you know, because you must remember, I met John Stewart, comedian to comedian. I went to the Daily Show, comedy show to comedy show. You mm-hmm. know, it was, I lived in the world of comedy. Only once I was announced as the host and stuff was I exposed to a group of people who saw the show as holding a position higher than I think the show itself wanted to hold. Mm-hmm. I never understood why John always used to say, this is a comedy show, not a news show. Always tempted down. This is down. a comedy show, not a news show. People would be like, oh, that's not true. That's a lie. That's not true. People don't understand that comedy finds a lot of its funny in truth. That's what makes comedy funny. Mm-hmm. Because people in the audience go, ha, that's so true. Ha, ha, ha. I relate to that. That's why we laugh. It's exactly. involuntary. We, the we, laugh, we recognize. That is exactly what it is. It's a visceral reaction and an acknowledgement of the truth. And so people people often mistake seriousness for facts. Yes. Yes, Whereas do. you don't realize that comedy has always has always dwelled in the realm of this is fact, but it is funny. That's why it is funny. It's the truth. And so that's the thing that I'm working with on the Daily Show right now is you're going over time, you have to build that relationship. So it's the same thing with my stand-up is you must remember when you're watching that special, you're not watching two months of Trevor Noah. You're watching two years of him working just that special mm-hmm. over time, evolving it, and also reacting to things. I mean, do you know how hard it is to make a comedy special where people are getting shot as you're trying to write a joke about people getting shot? And yeah. then you're going, oh, well, okay, I have to add another name to the joke. And then you get another person, and you're like, okay, adding another person to this joke. Okay, okay adding it. And then you, you've just finished, or you've just gotten to the point where you found a way to talk about a, an attack that happened in Paris, and then God forbid... The weekend you release your special, another attack on Paris. That's the craziness of the world. But you're still working. You're working the whole mm-hmm. thing. You're working the entire thing. And it is it is a body of work and it is a period of time that you've spent based. And it's also based on the other eight years of experience that you've come in right. with. So with The Daily Show, it is that evolution. Right now, 
I'm still in my first two minutes on stage. Hello, how are you? <laughs> you guys good? You having a good time? Yeah, nice to see you. And then like, obviously there's people who don't un- or want an instant thing. So they'll be like, oh, he's nothing like the previous comedian who just left us with a great punchline. And there's some people going to get another drink. Exactly. <laughs> but that's how comedy is. That's what a show is. That's right. You start off at the beginning. You say, hello, how are you guys doing? You start working on it. And then you hopefully get into the point where you go, this is the meat of the set. This is where we are now. And that's when Trevor gets to be fully Trevor. But to come out and do that immediately, it's also not organic. I don't even yeah, do that in a conversation. I don't meet people and just go straight into my, you know, that's that's just weird. It's just going straight in. I want to get to know you. You get to know me. Right. We, we feel each know? other out. Yeah. The thing that, as a longtime fan of the show, the one thing that made me, um, as sad as I was to see John go, the one thing that I was eager to see happen in terms of new blood coming in and new perspective coming in was that I had come to, I'd started to become frustrated with what I perceived to be kind of the echo chamber nature of all of it. The show filled in a very, very important void when the rise of Fox News and the sort of you know, truthiness era yes, that we were yeah. in. It was an essential tonic for those of us who didn't necessarily agree with any of that. Um, as the show went on and as media got more complicated and, and more nuanced, um, I became frustrated that the show was spending so much time responding to things that were intentionally inflammatory and intentionally ridiculous and performative. Yeah. As opposed to the, so commenting, responding to the, co- Responding to the response as opposed to responding to the essential facts that happened. The Fox Newsification of the world and the Fox Newsification of yes. the show. Yeah. Um, has that idea filtered into the writer's room and you know this chance to restart the show with you as the host, a, a chance to potentially begin to move away from that dynamic? I think everyone, everyone is, is excited about the, the opportunity to do that. Everyone still has to learn how to do, how to right. do that, you know? So... Um, one thing that is that is difficult and it takes time is to get to a place where, you know, I'm used to writing for myself. Right. Right. Now, obviously, I have enough time to do that. I don't have to create a new show every day for my stand-up. But you're now trying to work with individuals who are part of a team who have to speak for a single person. They have to and put words in your exactly. mouth. Exactly. Yeah. And you have to try and get to a place like what's very difficult uh, to 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 do, and but the reward I feel will be immeasurable. Is I don't come from a place of 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 one thing. I think it's it's in my blood. Being mixed already started me off like that. You know, like I remember growing up as a kid, being involved in racial fights in South Africa, and you know, it would be a fight about race somewhere here, somewhere there, and someone would say all black people this, and I'd be like, I don't know if I can agree with that. You know, and here's why. But I can see why you're frustrated by what you perceive to be all black people because I, my, and let me explain to you what it's like to be a black person because, but I can explain it to you in English because I've grown up in a half white world of yeah. where, you know, and the same thing the other way around as being with black friends and they go, I hate all white people. All white people are racist. And I go, well, not all. And let me explain. And because I know a dude who's not that bad. He happens to be my dad and I've met some cool white people. But it's just like I've always had to, I've had to walk the line of seeing both sides because I've, I am both sides. Is that exhausting? No, it isn't. It, it's liberating, to be honest. It's like I, I feel like it must be exhausting living on one side. Like it's so much fun to see all sides of an argument and aim for the truth. It doesn't yeah. like people often go, you got to get off the fence. You're not on the fence. The truth is what you should be aiming for, uh-huh. not the side. You know, often we just look for the side. What side of the argument are you on? No, what is the truth? You know, and sometimes we're not, a, we, we don't, we don't want to go towards the truth because the truth is inconvenient. It goes against what we feel sometimes. So you go, like, here's, here's an example. This was like a weird moment in the writer's room. Um, ben Carson, there's a shooting, right? I mean, it's amazing that I don't even remember which shooting it was. Uh, it, I think it was on a, it was in a school. Okay, I remember this one. It was in a school and someone came in shooting and Ben Carson said, we should have rushed. He said, we should rush these shooters when we see them. And he would have rushed the shooter. He would have said, hey, everybody, let's rush the shooter. And da, da, da. And so everyone in the writer's room went, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. This guy's an idiot. And I said, well, actually he's right you should rush the shooter. If everyone rushed the shooter, the shooter would probably be able to hit less people. This is probably true. This is what happened on the train in France, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. 
However, you are not taking into account that we are not trained military personnel. Who is going to rush the shooter? Has this been discussed? When I walk into a Starbucks, do I announce myself as the Russia? No, I, think does, you, does, I think you say Trevor and they write it on the side of They write it on the side of it, right? Like, I mean, when you walk into a public space, how do we agree on this? Who runs first? Because you are probably going to die. So who is the person who lays down their life amongst a group of strangers? Who makes this decision? Who, these are such tough things that, that you know what I mean? So what, you then, what we then pointed out was th- what Ben Carson said wasn't completely wrong, but it was callous and it wasn't thought out because you neglect to understand that human beings and bullets don't really get along. So asking them to rush into them is not the most logical thing. And even then I asked, like, for instance, like the security at the show, and I said, what do you do? Mm-hmm. What are you trained to do? And they were like, well, if you're close, you should rush the person. person. But if there's, a, if there's a certain amount of distance, you actually train to look for cover. So it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's not as open as that. But you see, like, this whole argument has nuance in and around it. So it's easy to just go, Ben Carson, idiot, stupid, go away. For me, it's so much fun to look at the, the elements in and around it. And then you start realizing something deeper, and that is, is Ben Carson thinking like a human? You know what I mean? And then you're like, wait, does he exhibit emotion? Because any human goes, I'm afraid. Ben yeah. Carson goes, what is fear? And you go, how come you don't, you don't know fear? Are you, are you a psychopath? And that's the crazier thing. Exactly. Beneath the obvious. Thing. Beneath the obvious, you find the truth. But it's like if you if you rush to your side, it's so, it's just like all of it is just like yes or no, red or blue, up or down. It's just that's so it's so boring and it doesn't get us anywhere. It's it, that's what happens. That's Congress. It just becomes deadlocked. It's like when do we agree on something? When do we find the truth and then go? Oh, okay, I guess this is not my favorite thing, but I guess it's the truth. When can we take a breath from the, the louder emotions and actually have the conversation and? You know, this is another reason that I've been truly enjoying the show that you've been making is that, you know, I, I think that um, demographically and temperamentally, I, I've never met him, but I feel like I have much in common with John Stewart. Yeah. We are uh, East Coast uh, Jews, uh, liberal minded. Um, I mean, obviously, we're here in the same room. I'm much, much taller than he is, but <laughs> almost overwhelmingly, um, disconcertingly tall. And, um, you know, to watch him over the last few years, it's been to watch someone struggling with outrage yeah. and disappointment and frustration, you know, that I feel and many, many people feel, um, particularly, I'll just use an example over the last year, as you, you alluded to earlier, of police shootings. Yeah. And the reaction that I felt in my heart and that many of my friends felt was, how could this be happening? Yes. How could this happen? When I speak to my friends of color about that, they say, it's always could, been how happening. could you not know this is what yeah. happens? Yeah. That's a fundamental change in perspective from the person sitting yes. behind the host chair. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Definitely. It's weird because, you know, I've, I've read here and there, I, I, like I don't read reviews or anything, but, um, and that's for comedy or anything. I just, uh, um, here and there I'll bump into people going, why aren't you angry? Why aren't you angry more often? What's wrong with you? I'm like, but where does the anger get me? I get angry to myself or about the things and then what? You know, it's like, and maybe it's because I learned it. Like I used to box, not professionally, but I remember when I was boxing, the one thing my trainer would teach me is he'd be like, just stop getting angry. And he'd punch me in the face and I'd get angry. And he'd go, stop getting angry. He's like, the anger is the reason you won't be able to hit me back. You've got, you can't be angry when you're fighting. You've got, you've got to keep your, you've got to keep your gloves up and you've got to keep moving. And when you get hit in the face, you've got to go, okay, I got hit in the face. What does that mean? You've got to adjust. You put your hand up, yeah. you, you adjust your stance, you keep moving and then you punch and you punch, but you don't get angry. You think you let that fuel you, but you don't get angry because when you get angry, you become blind. When you become blind, you attack and you don't see what you're attacking or why you're attacking it. You become, you become angry. John said that he was like, I got angry and the anger made him tired. And it was like you say, it's a frustrating place to be in. I don't approach it from that point of view. Like like these things, like you say, police brutality is, I'm sorry, is, black people aren't going, wow, this, this new thing is amazing. It's like, no, 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 no. Cell phone technology and cameras and the ubiquitous use of all of this everywhere, that, that is new. That's yeah. amazing. The fact that now we're seeing it and it's so prevalent, that is new. But, I mean, if you watch Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. As you mentioned with him on the show the other yeah, night. He literally has 
all the same things happening in a in a movie that's what twenty something years old. Twenty six year old movie has essentially um, predicted the Eric Garner case. Exactly, that's exactly what. So it's been happening. Right. So so it's hard for me to be angry because it's like what are, what do I expect to change? That's that's insanity, isn't it? Doing the same thing and hoping the, for a different result. The definition of it. Why would I be angry when I, when the thing has been? How long do you want me to be angry for? I would rather I would rather turn it around. I'm not saying I don't I don't get angry when incidents happen. I'm not saying that things don't make me sad, but I feel like there's a different way to approach the thing. I won't let that anger consume me because I you know I'm not I'm not gaining anything and I don't give anything out that is positive. I'd rather point out the craziness of it and find my moments and find where my anger is. But I'm not going to manufacture anger. I'm not going to live in that space just for the catharsis of the thing. Just to be like yeah. He showed them the anger. No, 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 no. But did we make a good point? Did we find the truth? It's false. It can be. It can. It can lead to a sort of a false uh, inflation. You know, yes. puffing up on both sides. Yeah. Of the response cycle. Um, that is wisdom, I think, and that is wisdom that is hard earned from you in in your own life over an, a number of years. Um, you know, you've been very open about tragedy and 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 misfortune in your own life. Yeah. Getting to the point where you are able to explain that and live that is a remarkable achievement. Bringing that kind of nuance and calm perspective to a daily comedy show that it still has to be funny. Yes. That's another challenge. Yeah. I think uh, the most fun that I have is, is, is uh, and this is, this is probably going to be the most difficult thing to try and explain to people, is you cannot, off, you cannot always find the solution, right? You cannot always find the solution. What you can do is always strive to find the solution and often making jokes in and around it or bringing it to light is a big step in finding the solution. At least if, if we just keep the thing at the surface, that's the thing. Just just talk about it. Have it be out there. Have it be something that we don't just go is now not spoken about. Yeah. The more that happens, the more we're likely to do something about it. The more it becomes or the less taboo it is or the less, you know, the... It's just it becomes less of a monster in the room. It's it's less likely to be this thing that paralyzes us. It's that that's what I've always felt that comedy does is it gets it gets us talking about racism in a way we never spoke because now you're joking about the thing. There's black people and white people in the same room and they're laughing, going, "Shit, that that is true. That's funny. That's yeah. we we do that. You do that. Hey, now we're laughing about it." But it's like it. It, it lets it come out. It's like, you know, it's like poking the needle into the little pus bubble and it just, it just lets it come out. It's like the, the bubble still needs to heal, but now you've just, you've just poked a hole in it yeah. that gives it a moment to, to release some of that pressure. And that's, that's what I feel the role of comedy is. You, you, you highlight the thing and you can't always find the solution, but, but you do perform part of that, part of that healing process. You, you know, people go, yes, that's true. That's funny. And you, you know, it's funny, I remember reading stories of a lot of the, the soldiers that fought in, in, in World War II, and they said, after watching Charlie Chaplin's movie, um, uh, The, the Dictator, the dictator yeah. yeah, they said it completely changed their perception on, on Hitler. Because before that, they saw him as, a, as an indomitable, undefeatable, just master of, of war. And then Charlie Chaplin came in, and now you started looking at you like shit. I never, I never thought of him like that. Yes, and it's a small thing like that, you know. It's 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 like a it's like in in the movie Three Hundred. I know it's not a true story, a documentary just, as far as I know. <laughs> it's a uh, it's uh, well based on a true story, of course. Um, but it's just that that moment in the movie where where um, I think it was Leonidas throws the spear at Xerxes, and his spear cuts him, and he says, "We didn't win that battle, but." we showed that a God could bleed. Yeah. And that was a key thing is just showing the people that, hey, there's a, there's, 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 there's a little gap here for us. This thing is not impenetrable. And once that happens, people can go forth, people can go. And that's what comedy often does. It shows that, hey, this thing's not impenetrable. Yes. Let's talk about there, it. Let's, let's find a way to do something about it. There are real things, and I know you're not saying otherwise, to be afraid of in this world, to be angry and to be upset about. But one thing that I find particularly frustrating and just in my own life is when I, you know, I'll scroll through Facebook and friends of mine whom I think I would agree with on nearly every issue yeah. who are just every day will repost something from some some liberal outrage yeah. on Salon saying, yeah. 
can you believe Donald Trump has done this? Can you believe he's done this? But I'm like, why can't you believe he's done it? Why? Let's let's move past that point. And, I, and yes. I'm thinking of that great bit you did where he was a African dictator. Yes. Which, you know, was, I think, one of the best bits of, of you your just tenure. Have, you just have to transform your thinking. It's like, here's my thing. You go, Donald Trump is this X, Y, Z. Donald Trump is mad. Trump. You're like, no, Donald Trump is just on the wrong continent. That's all. <laughs> That's he, all. he makes perfect sense in a different yeah, tradition. Yeah, he makes differences. If Donald Trump was an African dictator, he'd be a fantastic leader. You know, that's I, I believe it. Donald Trump has many fascist tendencies about him. Yes, he, he does. The things he says, the things he does. He's fantastic in that regard. How long are you going to be surprised by the thing? Like, that, that just blows my mind. I can't believe he said that. I would rather enjoy it and be like, oh, man, I can't believe he said this. This is so much fun. And then people often go, this is what fascinates me, is people go, I can't believe Donald Trump. No, it's almost like you're focusing on the wrong thing. You should be going, I can't believe there are people who are saying they'll vote for Donald Trump. Yes, let's take Everyone has the further. right to be crazy. Yeah. What we should question is the electorate that thinks that crazy should be electable. Yes. That is the thing that is scary for me. Yeah. Because everyone's like, I can't believe that guy said that. I walked through New York City. You can't believe the shit people are saying on every single street corner. People, there's a thousand crazy people that are just running around saying the weirdest things. You used to go grocery thing. shopping with them. Exactly. I was one of them. But no one voted for me. I wasn't surging in the polls. <laughs> you did pretty well, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but point, point taken. Yeah. So, so I think it's like, that's the thing sometimes. It's like, we, we like to live in that. And it's, it's funny that you said that is that liberal, um, that liberal outrage that just like it's a machine that likes to fuel itself. It's it like, does. can you believe this? Here's something else to be angry about. Here's something else to be angry about. Here's something else to be angry about. Here, here's never 10 ends. sideshow freaks exactly. to get worked up about and when we're not doing something. It never ends. Else. It really never, never ends. And it won't end. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, the only thing I can think of is that for as challenging as it is to take over a nightly uh, political show, to take it over in the era of Donald Trump has to be somewhat of a gift. Oh, the, definitely. The, 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 did you see the, the comment yesterday, this tweet about his medical records? No. Where he said uh, he has asked his long his doctor, an excellent doctor of many years, to to put together his public his records to make public, and they will be perfect. I mean, it's it's you. He is. He's just, doing your job in many he's, ways. He's the most fantastic. He is literally, and it's funny you say that he's doing my job because I said this years ago in an interview. I said. I think it was an interview or comedy special, one of the two, in South Africa. I said, uh, I'm tired now of these African leaders because they're taking away the work of being a comedian. They're just giving us, all we're doing is reciting what they've said, and that is the joke. Yeah. It's not fair anymore. <laughs> like now there's not, nothing to separate a good comedian from a bad comedian because <laughs> we're all reciting the same thing that the guy has said. And that's why I say Donald Trump falls into. He literally does exactly what many African leaders do. They just give you the jokes. You don't have to work for them. You don't have to find the nuance. They just give you the jokes. You know, there was a lot made when you when you got the job about um, you know being a relative newcomer to America. But I think that that overlooked the fact not only have you had a long comedy career, but you moved here more or less full time. I mean, yeah. obviously you were no, living a life of traveling from, comedian. From, but from in, 2010 to 2012, I lived here. You lived here, and you but you lived a life that you know. Many of us, you, you lived, you've saw parts of America that I, you know, I've lived here my entire life. I have never seen the parts of America that a touring comedian yes. sees. Yeah. I that's feel what, like, I, I, feel what I realized. I didn't know that. that. I didn't realize that. I, uh, wow, I've seen America. What, what is the country that you've seen? Because now you, you know, you're living in Manhattan now, you're doing this show, but you've seen all of the country. And I, I'm thinking about uh, Lauren Michaels, you know, the Saturday Night Live producer did a podcast interview recently where he says he's been doing the show 40 years. Every night he thinks about the crowd. He thinks about the audience in Arkansas. He does think about beyond the, the yes. echo chamber of New York City. Yeah. They might not always like his show, but he's as mindful of them as he is yes. of his friends yes. at um, you know, Tavern on the Green. Um, what is the country that you've adopted as your own now? I have found uh, probably the, the, biggest, the best way to, to summarize it is... I remember before I came to America, people asked me, what do you think of America? What's America like? It was an easy question to answer. Oh, Americans are ignorant and they like guns and they like food. And then I came to America and I lived in America. And then people were like, what's America like? And I asked, which part, which people? Because in every city I went to, in every state, the mix of people was so spread out. I mean, I'm talking about 
in the Carolinas. I had people coming to my shows and it's not like they were my people. These were just people who were going, I love your comedy, but I have nothing in common with you. I, you've made me laugh. We've connected in a, on a level that is completely organic. You are the furthest thing from me. You know, I had guys, I remember in, 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 I think it was North Carolina, coming to my show and they were like, man, I, I never thought that I'd be laughing at your show. I'm from Burgall, Burgall. And I never thought, I was like, what the, what is a Burgall? And he's like, I'm from Burgall. And he's like, but I loved your show. I loved your show. And I was like, are you kidding me? I would have never thought, and he would have never thought yeah. that he'd be laughing at an African's jokes. In a, it, it, it's like you, I started to realize that we've created these artificial boundaries and these artificial spaces where we believe that mindsets and, and, and views are forced to exist within. So you go, the West is the home of this. Mm -hmm. uh, Middle America is backward. Uh, the coasts are, cons are, are liberal and that is where forward thinking. And then I traveled and I was like, no, no, it's not that simple. It really, really isn't that simple. You've, you will find pockets of everything everywhere. You will find people that absorb everything everywhere and there's people who reject it. it it's, it's so big, it's a continent. America calls itself a country, but really it's a continent, you know, and... And on that continent is a diverse range of people. And so when I make the show, like, uh, that's why it's funny. I, I, I don't even, like, I will try and make jokes that I feel like I would make about South Africa or any place that I, that I, that I consider home. Mm -hmm. You know, I always joke about a place. And that's the p mistake people make as well. They don't realize I joke about my home country as much as I joke about any other place. That's, that's what jokes are about. I joke about my best friends. That's, that's the whole point of a joke. You know it's not meaningful. It's like whatever, man. And part of it is based in truth, but it's, mm -hmm. but it's whatever. But, but I also don't like go out of my way to go, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slam Iowa. It's like, no, because I, you know, I have nothing against Iowa. You know, I've, I've had a great time out there. It's like, yeah, this is, this is, I, I'm not going to take on any of that institutional yeah. bias, uh, even if it's just comedically. Well, it, it, it's in a way, it's freeing because you don't, you didn't inherit that. That's not yours. That's no, not your legacy to feel all. bad about the state and not about the state. Not you don't all. have a team. No, I really don't. And that's that's what that's what makes people angry sometimes. People go, "Well, you got to pick a team, buddy. Because if you don't pick a team, then how do we know who do you who you support?" And you're like, "Maybe I'm just the referee." Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's my role. Well, what would be what would be so bad about disagreeing or being provoked intellectually or emotionally by someone that you root for or that you like? Exactly, it's ongoing, yeah. right? I mean, I, that that said, here's the thing that I think is remarkable: it takes an enormous amount of confidence to be a performer. Yes. it takes a whole other kind of confidence to move to another country and just start <laughs> grinding, you know, like like Giggles Club in Reno. I mean, that's a whole other kind of confidence. But it also, at the same time, takes an enormous amount of humility. What you're describing to basically live in a place where you don't really know, and there's a lot that you don't know. There's yeah. a lot you can't know. To live in that place, that that's so that 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 takes a very that takes a level of humility that doesn't always go hand in hand with the confidence necessary to put on a show. I always thought it was level of stupidity, but I'll, I'll take <laughs> humility. I'll take that. I, uh, no, I, I just love comedy and I love growing. I, I always say to myself, as long as I can learn from this, it, it's worth doing. That's, that's how I see it. I never look at it as a failure. You know, I'm not saying failure doesn't affect me, but I always look at it as an opportunity to learn. You know, often my best jokes on stage have come from death. Like whenever I'm whenever I'm bombing, that's when the magic happens because that's when my back is against the wall, and that's when I use every single resource, everything, every single experience, every single thought and fiber of my being comes together to salvage that moment, and that's when the magic happens. Mm -hmm. And so, I look for those opportunities, and I find them, and I go, that is when you will find yourself is is in your darkest moment, is in your is in your worst uh, period. That is when you, is when your true metal shines through. When things are easy going, you don't know how good you are. You don't know how strong you are because things are easy going. That's right. It's when you have to push through that final ten percent that you go, "Oh, okay, this is what I'm made of." So I, that's that's what I look for in all of these situations. Is I, it's it, it's always about pushing yourself further. It's about finding that. It's about it's about striving to get to that place. We uh, you've been very generous with your time, and I know you have to go back to the office. Um, just two more questions on on. You've been in the show for. Uh, couple months now, hopefully you'll be in it for a couple of years. In this exact moment, we're recording this on Friday in December of 2015. Are you having fun? I'm having a lot of fun. I find the moments of fun. Although I do find often for me, and it's the same with comedy, I have fun. Fun is a product of the hard work and the struggle. So I will have fun when I go, 
oh, okay, okay, it's pay, it's paying off now, you know? Like, uh, I'm enjoying the work right now, right. but I'm not having fun completely 100% yet. There are moments of fun that I'm enjoying, you know? But there's, like, when you... When you've done the work and when you when you've really when you've really put the work in, that's when that's when I go. Now I'm having fun because I'm enjoying the fruits of my labor. That's right. I I'm not one of those kids who like I I couldn't enjoy myself until everything was done, every chore was done, every. That's when I'm having fun. Every toilet seat was changed. Every toilet seat's changed. Now I'm having fun. This may be trite, and you may have answered it when you spoke about going shopping for plumbing parts at uh, two in the morning. But what is your moment of zen at the end of all of this? Or in the, uh, mid, in the midst of all of this is a better way to phrase it. What is my moment of Zen? I find it in many places. I love driving. I love... I think you picked the wrong city for that, I'm afraid. That's what I thought. And then I drove and I realized, you know what? If you love the thing, it doesn't matter where you do it. You're still going to enjoy it. I love driving. I... I drive in New York City. I drive in New York City. The other day I was driving at like 2 a.m. through Times Square. There was no one there. You just enjoy the lights. It's just a moment where I was like, I cannot believe. I used to watch music videos. Puff Daddy yes, and Notorious B.I.G. driving through New York City, Times Square. And I was like, I'm doing that right now. Are you kidding me? Like you, 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 sometimes you forget all of, you know, people make you forget Twitter and the people and the, and the bad blogs and the good, but people make you forget just to enjoy those moments. And that's, it's funny. It was Louis CK who said that to me. He said to me, whatever you do, don't forget to enjoy it. Failure or success, whatever it is, don't forget to enjoy because you can never relive this moment. You will never be the guy that people doubt again. You'll never be the guy that people don't know again. Don't forget to enjoy it. And, and that's what I do. So I find my zen in those moments, just the moments where I go, wow, I'm, I'm with my friends in Times Square at 2 a.m. driving through the streets. I'm in bare mountains enjoying like the fall and the color of the leaves. And, you know, it's just like those small moments where you're like, this is, this is pretty magic. This is fantastic. Can I, just for my own benefit, imagine you in those moments wearing a gigantic fur coat? You can do that, In the my style friend. of you can do that. Puffy, you can do that. You can, you can imagine me in that. <laughs> it's a beautiful image, and this has been a, oh, a, a beautiful man. conversation. Trevor thank Noah, you so thank much. you so much for joining me, The Daily Show, with my guest. Thank you very As host, much. Trevor Noah airs Comedy Central, 11 p.m. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Andy.